Today's reading is Luke 14, verses 25 to 35. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who cannot give up everything, you have cannot be with my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, and let them hear. These are the words of God. Let's pray as we start. Almighty God, on our own we do not have ears to hear. We cannot hear or understand what it is you say to us. We cannot turn back to you. Would you be with us this evening? Would you speak through me? Um, Would I be faithful to your word here? Um, And would we all be those who have ears to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, what do you make of Jesus? We see at the beginning of this passage in verse 25 that there are large crowds accompanying Jesus. And among them would have been various people who had different opinions of him. The 12 apostles would have been there. They would have thought a lot of him. But there was also probably a bunch of people who thought various things. Maybe some of them were ill. They'd heard he'd been performing miracles. Maybe if they stick around long enough, they can be healed. Maybe some of them liked his teachings. They liked the idea of loving your neighbor. That sounds like a good thing to do. Maybe some aren't quite convinced by Jesus. He seems quite arrogant. But they like the community that's formed around him, so they stick along anyway. And so in some ways, I imagine this crowd is is quite like us today. Many of us are Christians, so like the 12 apostles, I imagine we make a lot of Jesus. But maybe some of you aren't quite sure. Maybe you're intrigued by his teachings, about the claims he makes, or maybe you just like coming to church. Well, what Jesus is saying here is for all of us. He wants to make sure that we don't miss who he is and what it means to follow him. So we have this crowd and Jesus turns to, them, to, turns to them and basically says, so you want to be my disciples? And that word just means followers here. It's not talking about the 12 disciples. You want to be my followers? Well, this is what it means to follow me. And we're going to see three things that Jesus says. The next slide. We're going to see that we need to make Jesus our treasure. We need to count the cost of what that means. And we need to keep going till the end. So number one, make Jesus your treasure. Verse 25, Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, 
wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. (laughs) And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If you want to be my disciple, Jesus is saying, you must hate your entire family and even your own life. And that picture of bearing your own cross is a very vivid display of what that might mean to hate your life, to voluntarily pick up a cross and go to be crucified. Only someone who hates their life would do that. Well, what does Jesus mean by hating our families and our own lives? We can be 100% certain that Jesus does not mean hate in the literal sense we might understand it. Um, All through the Gospels, Jesus commands us to love, 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 whether that's your neighbor or your enemy or your families or yourself. So we can be certain that he doesn't mean abusing your family or ignoring them or cutting them out or any other horrible things like that. And hating our lives doesn't mean beating ourselves up about stuff or living in guilt and shame and disgust at ourselves. No, what Jesus is saying is, if you want to be my follower, then you must love me more than all these people. I must be the priority over everything. Even your parents, even your spouse, even your siblings or your children, even your own life. I must be the priority, Jesus says. I must be your treasure. Well, what do you make of that? It's a pretty outrageous demand. Is this not the height of arrogance for Jesus to demand that we love him more than our own families. Well, it would be if any ordinary man were to uh, demand such a thing. If Chris were to stand at the front of church and demand that we love him more than our families, if we want to come to Christchurch Bulldog, then we would all think he was crazy. And of course, Chris would never say that. But Jesus is no ordinary man. He's not just a good moral teacher or a miracle worker or the leader of the church. He's not even just God's promised saviour king. Jesus is God himself. And the reason he needed to come down to save us in the first place is because we don't love and treasure him as we should. In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, um, God says this, describing how we all turn away from him. My people have committed two sins, They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And the picture here you've got to imagine is of an overflowing, gushing fountain of beautifully clean, fresh drinking water that's free to drink from, and you need a drink. But instead of drinking from it, you turn your back on it, and you start digging around in the dirt in the hope that the hole you've you've dug, maybe it'll start raining and there'll be a little muddy pool of water there and you lap it all up, trying to drink it before it seeps into the ground. And maybe you just spend the rest of your life just digging and digging, hoping that next time it rains it will hold more water. All the while ignoring the fountain of water behind you. That's how God describes sin here. In this picture, God is like this fountain, our incredible creator, father, and king, the source of all life and love and meaning and satisfaction. And he created us to live with him, to find all our joy and meaning in him. But instead we turn away and instead try to find meaning and satisfaction and life in things other than God, in things that can't ever 
give us what we're looking for because they weren't created for that purpose. They are broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And there's lots of things in life, I think a lot of broken cisterns that we know deep down don't give us that meaning and satisfaction that we crave that they will. However much we might crave more money, I think most of us know that money can't buy happiness. And maybe our career progression, however much we seek to do well in our careers or at school or make a name for ourselves, deep down we know that no one ever sat on their deathbed and said, well, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. But what Jesus tells us in the passage we're looking at tonight is perhaps the hardest thing to hear. If you ask most people what's most important in their life, what their treasure is, the spring that they're drinking from, I think many would say family, and following that or close behind their own physical well-being. Well, I'd like to be rich, sure, and I'd like to do well in my career, but if I've got my health and I've got my family, that's what life's about. My parents, my siblings, my spouse, my children, that's where life's meaning is. That's where satisfaction is. That's my treasure. And what Jesus is saying here is, no. Just like money or career or anything else, they are broken cisterns. However amazing your family is, however much joy they bring you, they're not designed to hold water. They weren't created to provide your life with meaning or true satisfaction. And deep down again, I think we do know that. Maybe some of you know it more keenly than others. Maybe you have put everything you have into loving someone and treasuring them above everything else, hoping that they will give you what it is you're looking for in life, only to have them let you down or mistreat you or walk away. Or maybe you thought you had found it in a perfect relationship with someone, whatever relationship that was, a a parent-child relationship with a sibling or with a spouse, only for that to be taken away by their death. It's the same with our own lives. Whoever fit and healthy we may be, we all know that at a certain age, we're just going to make a steady progression towards death, however much we try not to think about it. If we're looking for meaning and satisfaction in our own physical health, then we will inevitably be disappointed. Our families and our lives were not created to fill that thirst we have inside us. They are broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, if you want to follow me, you, want to, you have to turn away from seeking family or your own life as your ultimate treasure and turn back to him, the spring of living water, and treasure him. Jesus is not just a good moral teacher or a miracle worker. He's not a ticket to heaven. No, Jesus is the one true God the creator of the universe, the source of all being and life, the spring of living water, who loves us so much that he died for us so that we could be his forever, even though we don't deserve it and we turn away from him. If we're going to follow him, then he can't just be an add-on to our lives. He has to be our ultimate treasure. And just to say, if we are treasuring Jesus above our families or our life, that doesn't mean that we don't love our families. 
In fact, it means that we can love them far more. If we're making our family or a particular family member into our ultimate treasure in life, then we're putting on them unrealistic and unattainable expectations as to what they are able to provide us with. And that's such a burden for that person to bear. They weren't created to do that. But if we're treasuring Jesus, the source of all life and love, who created our families, then we can love them as he intended us to. If we're at the spring of living water, then that can flow out of us into how we love our parents and spouses and children and siblings. Selflessly and sacrificially loving them as God loves us, forgiving them as God forgave us, and pointing them to Jesus as their treasure, as the Holy Spirit points us. That's how love is intended to be. So that's the first thing Jesus says. If we're to follow him, we have to treasure him above all else. And number two, count the cost. If following Jesus means to treasure him above all else, then we have to seriously consider what that might cost us. If we think following Jesus will make our lives now easier, like maybe those people waiting for a miracle might have thought, then we may be in for some nasty surprises. Jesus gives us two pictures of what that looks like, building a tower and going to war. Uh, Verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. When you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it, for if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Once you first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus is saying, obviously, if you're going to build a tower or anything, a house, whatever it is, before you start building, you work out how much exactly it's going to cost you, um, and then you decide whether you're prepared to pay that price. You need to be aware of the cost before you start building. And if you're going to war against someone, uh, not that I imagine any of you would be, but you first calculate what the cost of that war would be and whether that cost is worth it. And if you decide the cost is not worth it, You don't go to war. In the same way, Jesus doesn't want us to follow him without having thought about what it might cost us. Why? Because following Jesus has the potential to cost us everything. Family, our own life, and then in verse 33, all that you have. If we are going to follow Jesus... We have to consider whether he is worth giving everything for. Well, what does that mean we have to be willing to do in practice? Well, let's take the examples Jesus gives us here, our family and our own lives. Sorsha and I recently went to Morocco on holiday. Um, And in Morocco, it's illegal to share your faith if you're a Christian. The charity Open Doors that supports the persecuted church says this about what it's like to be a Christian in Morocco. There we go. While the law only punishes proselytizing, that's sharing your faith, Moroccan converts to Christianity can be pressured in other ways, 
such as losing inheritance rights and custody of their children. Women who become Christians are vulnerable to divorce, house arrest, forced marriage to a non-Christian, or expulsion from their homes. Most female Christian converts are alone in their faith, without access to Christian literature or fellowship. Men are more likely to face government interrogation, imprisonment, and beatings. Each year, Christian men are arrested and fined in Morocco for nothing more than having a Bible or discussing Christianity with a Muslim. To the outside world, it must look like these Moroccan Moroccan Christians really do hate their families and their own lives. Do you not love your children? All you have to do is stop bothering with all this Jesus stuff and you won't lose custody of them. Do you not love your husband? Just forget about Christianity and he won't divorce you. Do you not love your parents? Live as a Muslim and you won't be cut off from the inheritance or kicked out of your home. Do you not care about your own health and well-being? Get rid of your Bible and you'll stop getting beaten and imprisoned. Of course, they love their families. Of course, they don't want to be beaten. But they've counted the cost. Their treasure is Jesus and they know he's worth giving everything for. Well, what about us? Have you counted the cost? Have you seriously considered whether Jesus is worth giving everything for? We're unlikely to face losing custody of our children or being beaten because we follow Jesus in the UK. But there can still be many things that threaten to pull us away from Jesus uh, so that eventually we reject him altogether. I'm going to give uh, three made-up examples of made-up people. I've got some stock images to help us picture their lives. But um, here we have Jan, um, second from left. Jan, Jan loves Jesus, and she, she wants to follow him. But her husband and her children aren't Christians. And Jan's husband doesn't actually like the fact that she goes to church and gives so much of her time um, to help out there and gives money to the church as well. He thinks Sunday should be family days. And every week he tries to convince her to stay at home with the family and just relax instead. What should she do? She loves her family so much. And church isn't always that fun or relaxing for her. And she does miss out on so, many, so much great stuff that her family get up to. Shouldn't she just listen to her husband and stop going to church? Next we have Jim. Jim's a young guy and he became a Christian a couple of years ago Um, and he's recently started going out with this really amazing beautiful girl and he's quickly falling head over heels in love with her but she's not a Christian and in fact when she found out that he was a Christian she was quite shocked oh really I don't think I've met a Christian our age you're not one of those sorts of Christians are you surely you don't believe that what should Jim do then last we have Janine This is Janine. Janine's really interested in Christianity. Uh, She started coming to church in the last couple of months, um, but her mum died recently. And although she doesn't know for certain, she's pretty sure she wasn't a Christian. If she's going to follow Jesus and believe in him, it means also believing that her mum very likely wasn't saved and won't be there in heaven. Is Jesus worth the cost of living with that knowledge? The cost of treasuring Jesus for these people, of bearing their cross and living for him, 
might mean making some very uncomfortable, difficult decisions, or living with some heart-wrenching truths. But ultimately, if they've seen Jesus for who he really is, the spring of living water, then they know the cost of following him is so worth it. And who knows, in Jan and Jim's case at least, maybe by their faithful sacrifices, um, their loved ones may, may be saved and see just how valuable a treasure Jesus really is. So have we counted the cost? Is Jesus worth the cost? Are we willing to examine our lives and see if there's anything in us that has the potential to drag us away from Jesus? If Jesus is our ultimate treasure, then we must be willing to give up everything for him. Now finally, keep going till the end. If we're following Jesus, then we have to make him our treasure. We have to count the cost involved in that. And thirdly, we have to keep going until death. We have to keep following him, keeping him as our treasure until we die. Verse 34. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure heap. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. In Jesus' time, salt was used not just for seasoning, it was also a preservative for meat, and it was used as a fertilizer on soil, and also they would use it as a catalyst for when they burned dung for fuel. And in the same, yeah, if, if the, the way they kept it and the way that they use it, especially um, on the soil and as manure, it was possible for it to lose its effect over time. It was no longer salty. And at that point, it's not doing anything. It just gets thrown out. It's worthless. Jesus is saying, there's no point following him with all we've got for a few years, renouncing all that we have, bearing our cross, if eventually we fall away, stop treasuring him, and reject him. Salt may once have been salty, but if it's not anymore, it gets thrown out. This verse is a fairly sort of mysterious verse, but the Bible and the New Testament are very, very clear all throughout that only those who stay faithful to the end will enter eternal life. If we're to enter God's kingdom, the new creation, where we will treasure Jesus for all eternity, then he needs to remain our treasure throughout our life. We need to stay at the spring of living water and not turn back to our broken cisterns. Well, can we do that? Is it possible? Are we capable of staying faithful to Jesus for our whole lives and keeping him as our ultimate treasure? The conclusion I think Jesus wants us to come to here is no. We can't. It's not possible. We are not capable. On our own, we keep turning back to our broken systems, not treasuring Jesus as we should. To illustrate that, let's just follow the Apostle Peter's uh, story and journey through Luke's gospel quickly. When we first meet Peter in Luke chapter 5, he's a fisherman, and Jesus had just um, miraculously given him this huge catch of fish, so much so that the boat had started to sink. Um, and he's, Peter is understandably terrified, and Jesus says to him um, and to those with him, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. 
And listen to this. When they, when they had their, brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Just as Jesus tells us we need to be ready to do if we're going to follow him, Peter left everything to follow Jesus. Then in chapter 18, a few um, chapters after this passage here, Jesus had just told a rich man that if he wants to follow him, he has to go and sell everything he has, give it to the poor, and follow Jesus. And the rich man goes away sad because he can't do it. He treasures his own possessions more than he treasures Jesus. And so he rejects Jesus. And Peter says in verse 28, we have left all we have to follow you. See, I'm not like this guy. I do have what it takes. I am worthy, Jesus, to be your disciple. I've left my wife, my mother, my kids, my home, my comfort, all I have to follow you, Jesus. And then in Luke 22 at the Last Supper, the night before Jesus' death, Peter says, Lord, I am ready to go with you um, to prison and to death. Not just my family, Lord, not just my possessions, but my life too. And then, Peter, and then Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And so when the rubber hit the road and Jesus had been arrested, Peter had to make a choice. What did he treasure? His own life or Jesus As we know, Peter went on to do exactly as Jesus said he would and denied that he even knew him three times. Even Peter, Jesus' closest disciple, who saw the miracles he did, who heard firsthand his teaching, wasn't able to do it on his own. But that wasn't the end of Peter's story. While Peter tried to save his own life by denying he knew Jesus, Jesus willingly bore his own cross, walked to Golgotha and gave up his life to buy forgiveness for Peter and for all those whom he calls. Forgiveness for our faithlessness and forgiveness for our failure to treasure him as we should. And more than that, when Jesus died on the cross and rose to life, he not only bought for us forgiveness, but he bought for us his spirit too, living in us, sealing sealing us, making it possible for us to treasure him and remain faithful to him. So if we are trusting in Jesus and relying on him for our strength rather than our own ability to follow him, then we can be certain that, as Paul says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. God himself is working in us to keep us treasuring him more and more if we're trusting in him so that we will remain faithful our whole lives. If we're not yet put our trust in him, if we decide we do want to make Jesus our treasure, he promises to do the same for us too. And one way he does this, one way he keeps us faithful is by continually reminding us of our need for forgiveness and repentance, of reminding us that we don't treasure him as we should. And in fact, the more we realize we need to be forgiven, the more we treasure Jesus for forgiving us. So when we read passages like this, our response shouldn't be like Peter, I am worthy of being your disciple, Jesus. Look how much I've given up for you. And it shouldn't be like that rich young ruler either. Oh my goodness, what's the point of following Jesus? I can't do this. Instead, we should bow at his feet, asking for his forgiveness, trusting that he will forgive us, that he loves us, 
and ask him to help us treasure him as we should. Well, after Jesus had risen from the dead, Peter, forgiven by Jesus, went on to boldly live for him and eventually literally did bear his own cross, being executed for Jesus' sake. How was he able to do that? How are those Moroccan Christians and Christians all over the world able to give up everything for Jesus? How are we going to be able to stay faithful to Jesus? Only by God's grace and his spirit working in us. So what do you make of Jesus? Is he your treasure? Is he worth giving up everything for? I'm going to pray now, um, and why don't we spend a few seconds before I do just thinking about how grateful we can be to Jesus for dying for us, that we don't treasure him as we should, and thinking about any areas of our lives that we do need to surrender to him, anything that we wouldn't perhaps be willing to give up should the rubber hit the road. Let's spend a few seconds now. Lord Jesus, Our love for you is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. We do not treasure you as we should. Although you are the spring of living water, we constantly turn back to our broken cisterns. Lord, forgive us. Would would we see you for who you really are and treasure you above all else? By your spirit, would you keep our eyes fixed on you the founder and perfecter of our faith. In your name we pray. Amen.